good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Boy, I tell you what, are we blessed with our worship team here at the bridge or what? I'm telling you. They are outstanding, and I just thank God for them every time. It never gets old. Pastor Jared does an awesome time leading that team, and I just appreciate him so much. We are in a series called Seasons, and uh, I did mention it a little bit in my prayer time just a moment ago, but please continue to remember Pastor Jim and Miss Kim. If you did not uh, get the word, if you weren't aware, their son passed away suddenly Monday night. Uh, had a heart attack, and um, they had a funeral uh, yesterday for him, and there's some other stuff that they're going to do during a graveside on Monday, but just keep the family in your prayers. You know, we're in the Seasons of Life series, and they're definitely going through a, a difficult season, a season of grief, a season of loss, and some of you have been there, and I just ask you to keep them in your prayers uh, while they are away with the family uh, looking out for them and taking care of them, um, and just keep them, keep them lifted up. As we began this series, uh, we talked about four questions that we ask during the midst of series that we go through in our life, or, or seasons that we go through in our life, and the, the four are these. As you're going through a season, whether it's a good one, whether it's a difficult one, the questions are, what can I learn in this season? What can I enjoy in this season? What is most important in this season that I'm in? As I'm prioritizing my life and prioritizing the things that are going on in my life. And then where can I serve during this difficult season in my life? If you'd like the sermon notes for any of uh, this series, you can go to Andy Stovall or you can... Uh, email me at andystovall at bridgechurch.cc and I'd be happy to get those to you. You can also go to info at bridgechurch.cc and we can get them to you that way. If you wanted to uh, put something out on social media, just make sure you do it with the hashtag Seasons of Life. And if you have the version of the Bible on your phone, uh, you can go to version right now and down in the bottom right hand corner you can click on More. And it will open up uh, the different locations of the bridge, and you can click on the bridge Princeton, and it will give you the sermon notes. That will pull them right up, and then you can take notes directly from that. So I just wanted to make you aware that you could do that. Last week we talked about the season of what? Does anybody remember? Loneliness, right? Season of loneliness. That's why notes are important. Do you know how much you forget uh, by just hearing something one time? Do you know how long you retain that information? About uh, 72 hours. In 72 hours, you forget 95% of what you hear. So if you want to take notes, you can do so. We talked about loneliness last week and how we've all gone through a season of loneliness at some point or another in our life. Today, we're going to be looking at a season of self-doubt. Anybody ever been in a season of self-doubt? You've been in a place where you're just kind of wondering, you're, you're questioning, maybe you started a new business or, or you know, whatever, uh, and, and it's just you're kind of in a, a tough spot. You're questioning everything. You're wondering, you know, what's going on, God? Uh, when we're younger, we don't have a lot of that. You know, when you're young, you just see things through uh, the eyes of, of just complete, Innocence, you know, there nobody has hurt you really bad. 
you know, the, the worst thing that happened to me when I was a little kid was He-Man didn't come on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They switched the time and it just blew me out of the water. But the longer we live on this planet and the more we're disappointed, the more we have tough times that come in our life, the easier it is for self-doubt to kind of set in. Now there was a story, and and I'm told that this is a true story. But we've got one of our students in Bridge Kids. She's five years old. She was in Bridge Kids, and she was feverishly drawing. One day, the teacher looked at her and said, Sweetheart, what are you drawing? She said, Well, I'm drawing God the Father. Teacher smiled and said, Well, that's interesting, but you know, nobody knows what he looks like. And she looked up at her with a smile on her face and she said, they will in just a minute. <laughs> I love her confidence, you know. They're about to find out because I'm about to draw him. Um, but really at its core, that's what self-doubt is. It's a lack of confidence. It's a lack of assurance that we have in ourselves. Now, Don't misunderstand me. We need to have a measure of confidence. We need to, you know, don't be that guy that knows everything. But you need to have confidence in yourself. Um, There was a a defendant that was on a murder trial one time. And there was strong evidence indicating that he was guilty of the crime of murder. But they didn't have a body. Uh, In the defense's closing statement, His lawyer, knowing that the client was probably going to be found guilty, he said, I'm going to try something a little different here. He said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. The lawyer says that he's, um, he's going to get them to look at the back wall, back where the doors are that enter into the courtroom. He said, I want you to watch back there. And within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case is going to walk into this courtroom. He looked toward the courtroom door. The jurors somewhat stunned. They all looked eagerly. A minute passed and nothing happened. And they're they're just looking and they're wondering. And finally the lawyer said, Actually, I made up the previous statement. But you all looked with anticipation. I therefore put to you that you have a reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was killed And insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. There's reasonable doubt here. So you got to do it. The jury, clearly confused, retired to deliberate. After a few minutes, the jury returned. The judge said, jury foreman, how do you find? And the defendant was standing and he was very confident. And he stood up and he said, uh, we the jury find the defendant guilty of murder. His attorney said, what in the world? How how could you do that? You must have had some doubt. I mean, I saw you all staring at the door and you were looking and you were waiting on her to come through. The jury foreman replied, oh, we looked. But your client didn't. Reasonable doubt. That jury was confident. They knew based on the evidence. But the enemy uses doubt in our life as one of the number one weapons. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. Right at the fall, 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What does he say to Eve? Did God really say this was bad? Have you ever gone to somebody for counsel and asked them uh, a question like this? You know, is it wrong if I do such and such or so and so? And you knew before you asked the question that it was wrong. If you have to ask that question, you already know the answer. But see, we do that, and the enemy does that, and he causes us to wonder and question. Uh, the Bible in John 8, calls the devil the father of lies. He's a liar. He's a deceiver, and he wants you to doubt, and he wants you to question everything. He's the accuser. So I want us to look for just a moment this morning in the book of Exodus. I want us to go to Exodus chapter 3 to begin with. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phone and you want to go there. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to get into Exodus 4. But we're going to look at the life of Moses. Now Moses is a great man of God. And he's used by God in many miraculous ways. But he was also a man who had a lot of doubt, didn't he? Have you ever read the account of his calling? Well, we're going to do that. We're going to look at how God called Moses. Does anybody remember how God called Moses to the work that he was to do? Does anybody remember how that happened? Remember there was a bush? And what happened to the bush? It was burning. But what does the Bible say was curious about the bush that was on fire? It wasn't being consumed, was it? It was burning, but it wasn't being consumed by the fire. So Moses sees this burning bush, and he begins to walk over there, and he starts talking uh, to the bush, and it's God that is communicating back to him. And he says this in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then he looks at Moses and says this, So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, how do you expect he responded to that? Well, it's good that you asked because the Bible tells us how he responds. See, God called him to do something incredible. Something enormous, something bigger than Moses. Now, if I had been talking to God through a bush that was burning but not being consumed, I imagine my first response would be, uh, you know, I wouldn't know what to say. God called Moses because he had a purpose in his life. And that's what I want you to understand today. The first point of this message, the first thing I want you to see is that God also has a calling for you. God's got a calling for your life. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. What does it say? Go ye therefore into all the world. It tells us to preach and teach. And it says go and make what? Disciples. We're to go and make disciples. We often think of pastors having a calling and worship leaders having a calling and maybe our elders and some of our teachers in in the, the different departments. But everybody 
that calls on the name of Jesus and is saved has a calling in their life. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. You, me, everybody. God has a purpose for your life. If you're called to be a mechanic, you need to be the best mechanic that you can be. If you're called to be a school teacher, be the best school teacher. You can be a hairstylist. We had a man that stood here last night named Randy Howell. He's a fisherman. He does it professionally. He's good enough to make money. I'm good enough to kill bait. I can't catch a fish. But I can drown a worm, you know, with the best of them. But he's a professional fisherman. And he tells a story about his calling as a fisherman. Now you wouldn't think, well, is that really? Yeah. God used him and put him in a particular place to speak into a man's life. And it ended up saving the man's life. Actually, it ended up totally transforming his eternity. Because he came to know Jesus through that encounter that seemed to be chance to Randy but was ordained by God and it happened because he was in the place he was supposed to be doing what God had called him to do now you may be in whatever line of work that you're in and you may be frustrated and you may think man I'm just oh I remember when I got out of college I worked at and and some of you've heard me tell this story before I worked at a children's home about 35 miles down the road. And I had just got out of college. <laughs> and I'm mopping floors and plunging toilets and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, that's not why I went to school. I didn't go to school to do that. And I got this real negative attitude, this kind of uppity attitude about what I was doing there. And God got a hold of my life. And I tell you, when I found out the impact truly that God had made in my life personally, but was also making through the lives of the students that were there, it was after I left. And the kids would communicate to me and say, Mr. Andy, I just want to thank you so much for what you did and giving of your time and giving of your life to us at Falcon Children's Home. And I felt so ashamed and embarrassed. Because I was mad every time a little kid missed the potty. (laughs) I don't know. Even if I was like loving and enjoying and eating up the calling, I don't know that I would probably be a little ill every time that happened. But, But I was just like, oh, I can't believe that I'm doing this. And then I hear these accounts of how God had used a guy in a gym playing basketball to reach the lives and hearts of kids. Where's God got you planted? Where does he have you serving? What does he have you doing? I said it last week and I'll say it again today. We may not all be a rose garden, but we do need to bloom wherever God has us planted. Amen? God called Moses, but here's what ensued after the calling. He... Now, picture this. Here's a bush. It's on fire, and it's talking to you. All right? That's what just happened. Now, I want you to hear the conversation that takes place. And then Moses says to God, after God says, I want you to go now through a bush. 
I've just told you this in a burning bush. He says, I want you to go. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, I'm nobody. Who am I? They don't know who I am. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt or brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What do I tell them? And what did God say? He said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then the rest of chapter 3, God just kind of, he's talking to Moses and giving him a little bit of a pep talk. And he says, here's what is going to happen to you. Here's what I want you to do. And God just lays out all the details of what's going to happen the rest of chapter 3. And what happens after that is Moses, a light comes on, he becomes full of faith, and he rises to the occasion and sets out for Egypt to rescue the Israelites. Is that what happened? No, that is not what happened. He says, I'm going to send you. I've come to you in a burning bush, and this is what I've told you to do. And Moses answers him in Exodus 4.1 and says, what if they don't believe me? Well, he's already asked that question, but he asked it again. What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? I mean, he's asking every possible question and giving every possible excuse. And time after time after time, I mean, for crying out loud, has God ever spoke to you through a bush that's burning in your front yard? I think if uh, he did, I'd listen, all right? Or I would check my vitamin cabinet make sure I took the right thing, you know? But I believe I'd be listening. And our experience in our lives has been much the same. Have there been times when God has showed up for you? Have you ever had times in your life where you doubted and you feared and you questioned and you didn't know how it was going to happen? You didn't know how the bill was going to get paid. You didn't know how it was going to work out. And God just miraculously did an incredible work in your life. Have you ever been there? He's proven himself over and over and over again. I mean, I just recently on an anniversary trip with my wife, we were talking about What's going on with our kids? We got, a, we got another child that's about to start college. And we got another one that's about to start driving. In the early service, I just took my wallet and threw it on the ground. I said, I don't need this because there's never going to be anything in it. <laughs> they got it all, you know. And so we're walking down the beach and we're talking and, you know, just... Looking back on 23 years that God has blessed us with and, and thinking, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm kind of wigging out a little bit. How are we going to do this? I mean, we got that and we got this. And my wife looks at me and says, have we ever gone hungry? Have we ever begged for anything? Hasn't he always made a way? And I said, and I'm going to give you a, a little tip here guys well you'll be happy the rest of your life I just looked at him and said yes dear yes dear you're right but we question don't we God shows up in our life God does amazing things he's done some incredible things in my life personally and yet I still question 
I still go, but this is different. I remember when I was five years old, it was Christmas time. And we always met at my grandparents on, on Christmas Eve. And we'd go to Gainesville, Georgia. It was the longest day of the year because we would get there at noon. And then we would have to wait on my dad to get off work. And we would have supper. And then we would open presents. Now, who does that? Who has supper and then opens presents? You, the presents are waiting all day. We got to get in them, you know. So it's the longest day of the year. And it's like on Christmas Eve, I don't know what it was, but at my dad's work, they're like, well, we're going to keep you a little extra long today because we know the kids are like going crazy waiting for you to get there. And so, I mean, it is, it, it's been daylight for like 23 hours that day, all right? And I'm, I'm just, I'm ready for it to get dark because I know then Dad's going to get there and I know we're going to open presents and all that stuff. And so I go to my mom, and I, or my grandmother, and I say, Grandmama, man, we got to get some presents opened up in this place, all right? I mean, there's some stuff's got to go down up in here, and uh, we need to hurry up. And she said, well, son, we're going to open gifts as soon as it gets dark. Now, I'm about five years old. So how many days have I been alive? I, I've seen, what, close to 2,000 days go by. I'm going to do my quick math there. Um, I've seen the sun rise. I've seen the sun set. I've seen the sun rise. I've seen the sun every single day. I've seen that, right? Day after day after day after day. But this day. I looked at my grandmother and I said, what if it don't get dark? <laughs> Ever thought about that? I mean, yeah. Maybe today, for the first time in the history of Gainesville, Georgia, it is not going to get dark. You know. Why do we do that? Why do we doubt? I mean, I started early questioning and doubting, right? Why do we do that? And God is saying, are you kidding me here, Moses? How could you doubt me? And then he goes on. So he says, okay, well, that's not enough. I came to you in a burning bush. That's not enough. No problem. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. I'm not going to read verses 2 through 9, but in verses 2 through 9 in Exodus 4, God says, here's what I want you to do. He said, you got a rod in your hand? He said, I want you to throw it down. Throws it down, what does it become? Snake. He says, pick it up by the tail. Picks it up by the tail, it becomes a rod again. He has a cloak on. He says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to stick your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. What do you see? Leprosy. It's white with leprosy. Stick it back in. Pull it back out again. What do you see? No leprosy. Huh. Then lastly... He says, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to take water out of the Nile, and I want you to pour it on the ground. What's it going to become? Blood. I got all these signs right here, okay? So if they question who you are, these are the signs. And it wasn't just for the people that might ask, who are you and who, who, who gives you the authority to come to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Well, God does, and here's what he can do. Because I'm not doing this. This is the God that I serve. God gave Moses all the proof that he would, you would think he would need. Not only to convince others, but himself. But yet he still doubted. 
The second thing I want you to see today is God has equipped you for the calling. He's given you everything you need. See, he gave Moses all those signs. He didn't go to him and say, okay, because you have the pedigree, we're going to put you in the spot. Nope. I want you to go, Moses. I want you to go because you're the man that I have chosen to do this because you're going to be able to reach a people that only Moses can reach. I want you to do it. God is saying to you today, I've got a calling on your life. I want you to step out and risk. I want you to say yes to me. I want you to trust me because there's some people you're going to reach that nobody else will. And what are we doing with that calling? He said, I've given you everything. You, you are equipped for this calling. What will you do with it? Well, will we be like Moses? Moses said in Exodus 4.10, he said, Lord, pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. I can't talk to people. Well, see, God, he put another Moses up on the stage because I'm... When God called me into ministry, I was like, Lord, no, Mm-mm, not this guy. One, anybody north of the Mason-Dixon line can't understand a word I say, okay? You're talking to a guy. Somebody sent me a picture the other day of livers and gizzards. This is how southern I am. One was in a bowl, one was on a plate. They said, can you identify which is which? They were both fried. I knew which one was which. I love a a gizzard, you know. He said, you got the wrong guy, God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? And the Lord is just, I mean, I would be just going nuts right now. But God, in all of his sovereignty and in his patience, he says, In Exodus 4, 11 and 12, it's up on your screen. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. He says, I've given you everything you need. God promises, I will equip you, I will help you. But the very next verse is very telling and really very sad. In verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant. Please send someone else. Please send somebody else. I mean, can you imagine God coming to you in that form, in that fashion, giving you all those signs and saying, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to do it. This is how I'm going to equip you to do it. And he goes, I just can't do that. You are making a mistake. There has to be someone else that you can send. Which brings me to the last, really, caution that I want to give you today. And that is don't be derailed by your doubt. If you've got self-doubt today, don't let that derail you don't let that knock you off course God has called you he he will equip you don't be derailed by self-doubt we question 
And we have choices when doubt comes into our life. We can either listen or we can seek the truth. When I was about nine years old, my dad took us to Disney World. And we were walking around the park and we had been to all these different things and we get to Space Mountain. It is a roller coaster that is indoors. Now I was talking to all my friends and I was telling them I was going to Disney World and they said, oh, you got to go to Space Mountain because it's awesome. So I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, I'm going to go to Space Mountain. It's a roller coaster. I'm scared of heights, but how bad could it really be? Because it's inside and it's in the dark and I won't know what's going on. So we get in line. I'm worrying my daddy to death. I mean, the whole time we're there, I'm just, Daddy, Daddy, we got to go to Space Mountain. Get in line. We're at Disney World in the summertime. So we got in line forever, all right? We were just waiting and waiting and waiting. We get in line, and we're waiting, and about an hour and a half in, we finally get into the building itself that the roller coaster's in. So we get in Space Mountain. And I'm so excited. I mean, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. I've never been more ready for anything in the nine years I've been on this planet than getting on that roller coaster. Because this is about to happen up in here. Well, there's something that they do in Space Mountain. Anybody ever been on the roller coaster at Space Mountain? Yeah. Well, it's dark a lot. But every now and then, lights flash. And it gives you just a split-second glimpse of the horror that awaits you. I'm in that line. I am so pumped. I am so ready. I have talked my dad's ears off about getting on this thing. And I look up, and that light flashes, and I go, I'm out. (laughs) Well, my dad has been in line for two hours, and he's like, see ya. I'm staying in this line. You can wait on me and we'll get you when we're done. I let self-doubt and fear derail Space Mountain for me. 25 years later, I find myself back at Disney World. About five years after that, I got on a roller coaster called the Scream Machine. If you've ever been to Six Flags over Georgia, that's where it is. It's an old wooden roller coaster. I got on it. I, you know, all my friends and my brothers are like, dude, you've got to face your fear. You've got to get on a roller coaster. So I get on this roller coaster, and I'm just like, you know, it's got one little bar that comes down, and there's nothing else. There's no seat belt. There's no anything. It is a death trap, all right? <laughs> so I get on this thing, and we get up. And we're click, 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 and we come down, and we get... I, I mean, it, it looks like, you know, huh, you're just going to get it. When you're in the car on that roller coaster, it is dropping straight down, you know? And you're going to go through the track. I'm holding on. I'm like, you know, I'm making all kind of faces. I'm, I'm about to bend the bar in half. And the guy that's in, in the seat beside me, he just kind of looks over and he's like, dude, are you all right, you know? So I, I made it, though. I, I survived the scream machine. So 20 years later, I'm at Disney World. First ride I got on, Space Mountain. (laughs) Had to face it. 
couldn't let my life go by and be derailed and taken away from that experience. And what I found out was, wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was going to be. The point is this. God is calling you to something. He's calling you to something of substance and purpose. And for some of us, we're letting self-doubt get in the way of answering that call. We're bargaining with God. We're telling Him all the reasons we can't do the thing that He's called us to do. Maybe the self-doubt has paralyzed you. And it's keeping you from fulfilling God's dream for your life. We can be paralyzed by it, or we can seek the truth that is found in God's word, and we can act on it. John 8, 31 through 32 says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? Set you free. Self-doubt is a prison. It keeps you from accomplishing, from realizing the things that God has for your life. Maybe the self-doubt that you're operating in today is keeping you from reconnecting with family. Well, if I reach out to them, maybe they're, what if they reject me? What if I reach out to that person that has hurt me or I've hurt them and, and, and the worst case scenario takes place? What if? What if? What if? Well, you'll never know until you risk. I found a quote. I told him in the early service. I googled it, so it has to be true. It's actually a pretty good quote. I don't know that it's, it's as all-encompassing as it says, but the quote is, everything you've ever wanted is one step outside your comfort zone. Maybe we could say it this way. The fulfilling of the vision that God has for your life is one step out of your comfort zone. We've been comfortable far too long. I want to encourage you to step out. I want to encourage you to trust God enough to answer the calling. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from doing what God is calling you to do this very morning? The story that I heard from Randy last night about this friend that he talked to, the whole reason he was able to minister to that man. And that man, because of that encounter, didn't take his life. And the reason that that happened was because he said yes To a calling. He said yes to risking stepping out and saying, I'm going to do something about where I am. I'm not going to live here anymore. 
I'm in a season of self-doubt, but that ends today. God, I'm going to trust you. You've given me everything I need. Maybe it's doubting it'll ever be any better than it is right now financially. We just came through the financial series last month. What are you doing differently? What looks different in your financial life? Have you taken a risk? Have you stepped out of your comfort zone and done something different? I don't know what it is for you. But I want to encourage you to be bold enough to take that step. Because it's more than just you that's depending on that. There are people in your life right now depending on you to take that step of faith. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I want to thank you for your word. We look at this account in Exodus 3 and 4. And it could be easy for us to judge harshly and say how could how could Moses respond that way after he'd been given all these uh, signs and after he'd been reassured time after time after time and yet he wouldn't take the step of faith I would argue how many of us in our own lives I would argue myself personally, God, I've seen you do so many things in my life. And yet still there are times that I question. Still there are times that I doubt. That I make excuses and I say, God, it, not, I, I can't do that. It's not worth the risk. What if I do it, God, and my greatest fear is realized? What if I step out this morning, Lord, and I trust you for the very first time? Maybe that is that step that God wants you to take. Well, Lord, what if people make fun of me? What if people talk about me? What if I get laughed at? What if I'm ridiculed? What if, what if, what if? God, today I pray that you give us the boldness to step out. To step outside of that comfort zone and see your vision for our life realized. For some of us, we've waited 10 years, 20, 30, maybe even 40. Maybe you're standing there today and saying, well, it's just too late for me. It's never too late. It's never too late. Will you take that step today? Will you surrender you know, in that season of self-doubt, even though it's not, it's not good for us, it's familiar to us. And so oftentimes we, we just hang on because that's something we know. Lord, today we 
we're going to take that risk. We're going to take that step. And we're going to know freedom like we've never known it before. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this place, in this room, right now. In Jesus' name.